0: Hello there. I'm Patrick Stroth, president of Rubicon M&A Insurance Services. Welcome to M&A Masters, where I speak with the leading experts in mergers and acquisitions. And we're all about one thing here. That's a clean exit for owners, founders, and their investors. Today I'm joined by James Darnell, managing partner of KLH Capital. KLH Capital is a private equity firm based in Tampa, Florida that focuses on serving family and founder-owned lower middle market companies. In addition to being extremely active with six successfully completed deals in 2020, KLH Capital was recognized as private equity firm of the year by M&A Source. It's not too bad during a pandemic. James, it's great to have you here today. Thanks for joining me.
1: No, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, Patrick.
0: Now, James, I mean, we're just starting off here, but let's be honest, okay? Uh, you were kind of sad to see 2020 go, weren't you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, in a lot of ways, I was. Uh, uh, before the pandemic, I spent my life on an airplane as a road warrior, and uh, last year gave me a pretty unique opportunity to spend more time with my family and my kids. And uh, so, you know, while while you know, definitely a challenging year in a lot of respects, was also a blessing in many others, and uh, and for that we're grateful. But uh, but yeah, I, like like many, I was glad to turn the chapter on the year.
0: Yeah, well, I tell you, with, with uh, the change in travel and business development, I think sometimes less is more. So I think we're going to uh, happily adapt to that if, uh, if things change up. So before we get into KLH Capital, let's start with you. James, what brought you to this point in your career?
1: Um, well, I've been pretty fortunate. Uh, I grew up uh, kind of lower middle class family in South Alabama, which is not a really a hotbed for investment banking or private equity oh, investing. Wow. But uh I had a, a great family who helped me, you know, get to college at the University of Alabama. And uh, in college, I went to work for a small business broker in Birmingham, Alabama, who kind of taught me how to buy and sell companies and so taught me how the business worked. And from there, I was fortunate enough to go and actually uh, help run one of KLH's first portfolio companies as the CFO. And so I got to work inside the business uh, for a few years, you know, really living kind of what we call a, a wartime you know, experience, uh, because this was during the financial crisis. And so got to learn a tremendous amount about how a business really works from the inside. And that's actually helped me, um, I believe to be very successful as a, as a private equity investor myself, um, just kind of really understanding what the company's going through and, you know, us private equity guys, if you don't know this, we actually are the smartest guys in the print. And, uh, that's a, that's, it's, it's in the Bible. That's how it works. And, uh, and so, you know, private equity guys like to sit in conference rooms and say, we're going to pursue a differentiation strategy or we're going to move this or we're going to do this or whatever. And uh, having sat in an operator's chair, it's it, it's helpful to have a perspective to understand that, you know, it's not always quite that easy. And so uh, got to do that for a couple of years. And then after I did that. My partner, Will, and I you know, saw an opportunity to continue building KLH, and so uh, then I moved to work here at the, uh, at the firm and um, have been doing it ever since. So it's been a, been a wild ride so far.
0: Well, I think that when times are easy, you don't tend to learn very much. It's when times are tough that all of a sudden you have to start breaking rules or breaking habits and, and trying something different. So I'm sure you've got a lot uh, in, in your time there as an operator.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. We have a saying around here uh, uh, that says, um, you know, revenue growth covers a lot of sins. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and when wet revenue stops growing or God forbid pulls back, then you get to see kind of who's been swimming naked, so to speak. Right. And, uh, you know, the, we learned that in 0809. We've learned that last year and, um, you know, try and learn from those experiences and continue to build, build great companies. Well,
0: let's talk about KLH Capital. And I tend to Get an insight on the companies by with their culture and their founding and so forth. By the way, their name. Tell us what did uh, KLH uh, get named for.
1: Well, um, KLH was actually formed as kind of a joint family office um, from a couple of high net worth, you know, uh, guys here in Florida who were mainly managing their own money. And the K, the L, and the H were their initials. And uh, my partner, Will, and I were actually the first, you know, employees who were working for them to help them do their deals and help them manage their personal portfolio. And over the years, we did really well. We made them a lot of money and, you know, we raised a fund and we invested that, did really well and so on and so forth. And over time, my partner, Will, and I actually did an MBO of our own and bought our firm from the guys who had originally started it. And, um, uh, and so we have kind of firsthand experience going through what we help our portfolio companies do, which is, you know, help the people who've built the firm realize liquidity and value for what they've created, but also enable the younger generation to continue to have a runway in the path to grow their careers and build wealth for themselves. And uh, so that's what we got to do here. So, yeah, the K and the L and H, uh, the KLH are just, you know, the the name of the firm that we were we managed to, to buy and, 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 you know, represents kind of the brand that we're trying to build. And you continue the brand. You then go ahead and name it Darnell. Yeah, that's right. We, we I mean, look, we, we toyed with the idea and we said, hey, well, what if we uh, change the name of it or what if we you know, rebrand or something like that? And um, we just felt like there was actually true value in the name out in the marketplace. And when people, uh, we believe when people say, hey, I'm working with KLH, that means something. And uh, and it represents something that you're going to get a fair deal with people that you can trust and you're going to be treated with integrity and respect um, and uh, and we believe that that helps us win deals and and, and and you know invest in the right businesses so for those reasons we decided to keep it
0: well you know your focus is on owner founder lower middle market companies you haven't scaled up why, why is that tell me about your direction there and if it's a passion or a business choice why lower middle market?
1: stream our passion for this segment of the market is really rooted from you know kind of our heritage of where we come from you know we grew up working with you know founder and owner operator you know businesses that have uh, have never been you know uh exposed to institutional capital so you know firms that don't have great financials firms that don't have maybe the best websites firms that don't know how to put a fancy board deck together and a fancy spreadsheet together to explain things to the smart CFA guys in New York and Chicago with their fancy ties and things. And so these businesses, you know, are great companies that have a tremendous amount of potential to grow and and realize higher levels of success and help, but they need, they need help getting there. They need a process. They need a guide who can help them reach, reach their full potential. And, um, that's what, that's why we really exist. And so, you know, the size of the companies have changed over the years um, as just the amount of money you know, that we manage you know, has changed. Um, but, but all of our companies have in common is that they've reached an inflection point in their life cycle where they've built a lot of value in the company and the owners of the business need to realize some of that value, but they want to align themselves with a partner that shares the same vision and values for where the company can go that they have. And my job and our job here at KLH is to equip them to realize that vision and, uh, and, and do it in a way uh, that everybody is able to enjoy and have fun while we do it. and, uh, and So that's why we exist.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that's fantastic. That's why we really wanna highlight firms like KLH Capital because I sincerely believe that the lower middle market on top of being a very, very large uh, marketplace out there, there are a lot of companies in that space that truly need help, they're great companies, but if they don't know about KLH Capital or or firms like yours that are committed to firms their size, they're gonna default and go to a higher priced institution where they're not gonna get great response time, they're not gonna get the resources that fit their needs and they'll get overlooked, they they will get overcharged, but they'll get overlooked and, and it's just not a fit. And a lot of these organizations, like you say, they don't have the clean financials. They don't have things that are presentable and staged, like I guess staging a house. And so it's organizations like yours that can look through that and see the value. And so that's why we love highlighting organizations like yours. Uh now, James, you know, what does KLH Capital bring to the table? You've got the experience as the operator, and you are looking, I've got, I figure that you've got the patience with organizations that aren't as uh, "Quote unquote, pretty or clean, but what do you bring to the table uh, that uh, you know helps them makes a good partnership?"
1: The primary thing that we bring to the table is experience helping companies make the transition from you know family owned or entrepreneurial led businesses to companies that can run with the premier you know, middle market businesses you know in their industry, right? And so there is a large. Chasm, if you will, between where these companies are today and where they need to get to, both in their maturation, their leadership, their systems, all those types of things. And that's not a knock against where the companies are today, because those yeah. businesses are great companies that create a lot of value. We, you know, if they've done well; they've you know created a lot of wealth for the you know family or the entrepreneurs built it. Um, but it has potential, and that's what we're really about is helping them unlock that potential. And so we spend a lot of time working with. The, the leader on developing their team, right And so leadership development of you know the, of the C-suite, which gets a lot of attention, but also that second tier of managers mm-hmm. to make sure that, that that entrepreneur who you know maybe has never been on a true vacation in the last 20 years because he's always going to be in the thing, can, can, can build a team where he can really truly disconnect and get away. And uh, you know, th- we spend time with them working on things like that. Um, we do a leadership forum, we invest a lot in coaching, we do a lot of things like that to help those teams. We spend a lot of time on systems and infrastructure. So technology is a, obviously a very powerful force in the world today for entrepreneurs who have been reluctant to invest in technology because they're not quite sure of the payback on it. We're able to come to the table and say, no, 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 no. Look, this absolutely works. If we put in, you know, a route-based GPS software into your fleet, you know, we can look how many, you know, road miles we can save driving every year and what this means for gas and repairs and maintenance and insurance. Like, here's the payback. We've done it eight times in the last two years. Like, Hey, let's put in this new ERP system, which will give us access to all this, you know, data and analytics. It'll help us make more data informed decisions, which will, you know, hopefully make better decisions, but also help us create more equity value, you know, for the company down the road as we're thinking strategically about our options. Um, So we think about a lot of things like that. And then there's just kind of the housekeeping of how you run a business, how you do your accounting, how you do your insurance, what does your your real estate situation look like? Um, And so we're able to kind of help with all of those types of things, um, you know, both at a board level and if the company needs, you know, kind of at at an operations level with some of our operating partners that we would bring in.
0: Well, I think it's uh, unique in what you say here, where you're not just helping the C the C suite; you're going down a level to middle management, the the folks that have to implement and monitor and actually give feedback. And I can't uh, understate how important that is, because particularly when you're incorporating new technology, and you probably have a lot of cases, and we'll talk about you know your your target your target profile clients, but uh, and portfolio companies. But I can imagine. That not everybody embraces new technology the same way, and there are some that will actually really fight it. And you talk about uh, the the GPS routing because I had experience with that with a, a moving the storage company where mm-hmm. they really fought the division manager would have really fought the new electronic GPS system. So um it is helpful to have that that guidance, not just a checkbook.
1: Yeah, no, that's exactly right, and we're you know, as as you even said that, I'm thinking about one of our portfolio companies right now where the CFO is, 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 is fighting me on the idea of putting in a new inventory management system because, you know, he kind of likes it how he likes it and stuff. But the problem is it doesn't, you know, allow for the centralized purchasing and things that we need to do to be able to make the business more efficient and more lean. So, um, but that's, but, but that's the job, right? I mean, and this is where we, you know, there's, I got a lot of kids. So I think about things in you know, in kind of the parenting paradigm, a lot mm. of times, right. And you can use the carrot or you can use a stick and uh, you know, w- we don't ever like to pull the stick out. And so it's just a matter of, okay, maybe you're not a carrot guy. Maybe you're a strawberry guy, but there's something <laughs> I can do to help you, you, you know, get you to where I want where I want you to go. And, uh, and, you know, sometimes I got to nudge you along a little bit, but you know, once, once, once everybody's able to get over the reluctant fear of like, you're here to change everything, um, then, then we're able to generally make a lot of progress on some of these initiatives.
0: Well, I think the other observation I make with what you're what you're saying here is that unlike the perception, the non a perception where you're not involved with this on a daily basis, when you come up your experience in mergers and acquisitions is from what you hear in the news. Is company A buys company B and goes on. Right. Uh, you cannot remove the human element in mergers and acquisitions. Okay. It is really a group of people choosing to partner with another group of people with the objective that one plus one equals five and if you try to remove that human element you're you're not gonna you're not gonna move forward so it's great that you guys focus so much on the training and the education and coaching coaching is great I mean and that that's a new development in education now is everybody now has a coach
1: yeah no that's exactly right I mean you know, I, I think 20, 30 years ago when, you know, the idea of private equity and, you know, what we call today the lower middle market came to be, you know, it, it, was, it was really just financial engineering, right? If you bought a company cheap enough and, and if it didn't go bankrupt, then you were generally going to make money because you used debt. And it was just, frankly, it was pretty simple and not a lot of work. But these days, you, you know, you, you have to do that. But like, it's not necessarily a, about, you know, what you pay for a business, you know. I mean, because everybody kind of understands what fair value, you know, is for most mm-hmm. companies, and nobody's really going to give their business away anymore. It's about creating value. You have to actually create value, or or you or you don't have a reason to exist. And so that's where we and you know, my partners and I wake up, you know, every day thinking about. It. It's like okay. We're very fortunate. We have eight companies that we are are fortunate enough to you know be partnered with right now, and Lord willing, another eight that I don't know about that are out there somewhere you know today. And we're working on thinking about how do we add value to those guys. You know, how do we help those teams be more successful? How do we help them grow? And uh, what do we have to do to make that happen?
0: Well, I'm sure those eight companies are looking for you right now, James. Why don't you tell, <laughs> give 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 me the profile of your ideal target? What are you looking for?
1: So we focus on um uh, industrial service and distribution businesses, uh, and sometimes light manufacturing businesses that are typically going to be between 20 and 50 million uh per year in revenue uh that we think have the potential to double over you know the next four, five, six, seven, eight years. And wow. um Uh those are those are the types, you know, if if I was to describe the perfect woman, if you will, or the perfect deal, then that's what it would be. Um, you know, sometimes we go smaller than that, sometimes we go bigger than that. But um those are those are the type type companies on the surface. But once you kind of check the box on that, because that's just two bullet points, like does it meet this yes or no? It is really about the situation, you know, where a family or an entrepreneur has built a business. They've created some value. Maybe it represents the vast majority of their net worth. They need to do a deal, right? They, They they realize they need to do a deal. They need to be thinking about succession planning. They need to be thinking about their estate and liquidity and taxes. But they want to preserve their heritage because identity to business people, particularly men, and I know women are a different thing, but for men, our identity as the leaders and the bosses and the kings if you will of these kingdoms is very important to them and these kings want to be thought well of in 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 their communities when they come and when they go and so you know that means doing a deal with people that can help them make sure that they feel good about their name and what they've built and and how they how they left if you will um kind of thing and so the people that are concerned about that or whatever we we're the right fit for those right. folks
0: Now, so the majority of uh, your portfolio companies, management stays on, owner-founder stays on, and you're, you're bridging them as they go to the next chapter of growth, or are they looking just for exit?
1: We strongly believe in investing in managers who have a demonstrated track record of success in running their business so sometimes you know you know if you have a team of three people maybe one person wants to leave immediately one person wants to leave in two or three years and one person wants to retire in five years you know so you see so you kind of constantly you mm-hmm. know configuring the team but if somebody just wakes up one day and says, hey, I want to sell my business and, 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 and you know, head to Cabo, then um, we're probably not the right fit for them. There's, there's groups out there that absolutely would be a good fit for those entrepreneurs, but that wouldn't be for us. And so, you know, we're, we're looking for somebody who's, you know, generally in their 40s or 50s. Right. They've run hard for 20, 25 years. They've got another five or 10 years left, you know, but they're also understand the way the world works. And, you know, they, maybe they've gotten their business to, to somewhere where they need some help kind of reaching that next level. And, uh, you know, as part of that, you've got to do a transition. Um, And so that those are the types of situations that we're looking to help with.
0: Are you limited uh, geographically for the area that you target or are you all over the country?
1: Uh, KLH invests all over the country. Um, you know, we generally spend more time west, or excuse me, east of the uh, Rocky Mountains, as you would expect, being based here in Florida. It's just a little bit easier to get to, and so it's a little bit easier to uh to be in front of our management teams, but we have invested, uh, in Colorado before we've chased deals in Washington and California before, uh, we've got businesses now in Texas and New Jersey and Ohio. and So, uh, really anywhere, anywhere Delta or Southwest flies, we are, uh, we'll, we'll, will be there.
0: Now, I don't know if it's accurate to connect you with, with university of Alabama, but I get kind of a feel that another unique element that you're looking for is a sense of, competition, somebody who enjoys competition and enjoys pressing their limits and pressing their envelope for performance because it sounds, uh, from what you've said earlier, that uh, you've got firms that want to make it to the next level and they want to be up with their competitors and stuff. So you've got, you're looking for organizations where management has kind of a fire in the belt.
1: Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I mean, there's no such thing as a free launch. And so, you, you know, in, in any industry... Is making money. You know, there's somebody out there plotting to, you know, take that from them. Right? Um, mm-hmm. The famous Jeff Bezos quote. Right? Your your margin is my opportunity. Uh, that that exists in more than just you know selling books over the internet, um, as Barnes and Noble learned. Uh, and so you know for all of our businesses, we 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 preach that. And so we we kind of train, we practice, we work hard, we do the hard things um, because it is about winning, it's about growing. And uh, sure, you got You got to have a fire in the belly, you know, to do that. And that's part of of making sure that people are the right fit for what you're trying to do. You know, I mean, if you if if, if businesses are a you know I don't want to say a cash cow but essentially cash cow type companies that were really really dominant successful and you know they're just kind of riding out or whatever then again that's great I hope to own a cash cow myself personally one day that I can you know continue to milk into my later years but you know for 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 investors like us who who are passionate about building great enduring businesses those might not the right candidates to, to, to start with. And so that's where it's so important to understand, you know, your your the business owner and the management team. What is their vision? Where do they see their business going? And can you actually help them with what you know that you're good at so that you can be aligned from the beginning in what your strategy is and what your goals and on what your objectives are?
0: One of the things we have to remember with mergers and acquisitions is that, you know, it's not all done in a vacuum. There is risk, there are dangers out there. And I can imagine what you come across a lot of times, James, with the portfolio uh, uh, companies that you're targeting, they're first time MA folks. And so they haven't been used to this whole process. And they don't realize until they're in the negotiations that they could be held personally liable to the buyer, you, if, you know, there are any financial uh Problems that happen post closing or something unknown comes out that uh, wasn't turned up during diligence. And so uh, for the first time, the, these owners and founders realize that, hey, I don't have a corporate veil to hide behind. It, it is me and my money that's at risk. And that creates a lot of tension and a lot of fear. And um, one of the things that's developed over the last couple of years, especially great for the lower middle market, is there's an insurance product out there that can literally take the indemnity obligation that the seller has to the buyer and transfer that over to an insurance company. So buyer has peace of mind that if something does, you know, unforeseen happen post-closing, they're going to be made whole, their financial loss will be covered. And for sellers, they know that they're not going to be risking a clawback or a very large escrow uh, that's going to be held back for several years because, you know, the insurance policy has stepped in and the, the product's been reserved for you know, mid-market deals. It's called reps and warranties insurance. And in the last year and a half, you know, the news has been a little stunted because of the pandemic. You just can't get the news out about it. But now you've got transactions down in the 15000000 dollars $15 million, $15 to $20 million level that are now insurable, which wasn't the case in 2019 or 2018. So, you know, I'm just curious, James, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. What experience have you guys had with rep and warranty on your deals?
1: Sure. Um, We're big fans of the rep and warranty policies. We use them for virtually every, you know, transaction we're involved in, both as buyers or sellers in businesses. Uh, They're particularly helpful when we're investing in a new business because, you know, the indemnification agreements that you referenced are essentially like a prenup, you know, in a marriage. And it's just really, really awkward, you know, when you're engaged and you're planning a wedding and they get so excited to have to talk about, well, but, you know, if something goes wrong, we do, we are going to sue you for this and sue you for that. Like it just, it just, I'm telling you, Corey, it is, is an extraordinarily awkward uh, dynamic to start a relationship on. And so it's so much more helpful to be able to say, Hey, look, here's these reps. You're telling us that your customers are real and your you know employees are real or whatever. And this company is going to ensure that. And if they're not, then this company, then this insurance company will be on the hook for that. And uh, and so, uh, you know, you don't have to worry about any of these reps and we're all good. Right. And um, it just allows the, 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 the relationship to really kind of skip over that 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 part of the I don't say skip over the part because you still have to negotiate it. But uh, it just sets a, a, a fresh paradigm for the relationship when you start out. And um, for us as investors, it, it, it gives us a lot of comfort because we've been in the situation before where, you know, God forbid you do have a claim. But this is your CEO who is running your business. Do you really want to make a claim against your, you know, CEO or your management team, you know, who's running your business for you, you know, kind of thing? And so uh before the rep and warranty policies you know, came to exist, the indemnifications, while they you know gave you, you know, some level of comfort, they weren't really that valuable. Um, you know, for a lot of people. And so we we, we see a lot of benefit on, on, the, on the buy side. And of course, when we're, you know, fortunate enough to be, you know, exiting some of our investments, we don't want to be exposed to contingent liabilities for years and years down the road either. So so we, you know, use them there. And um, I do, you know, agree with you, uh, uh, Patrick, that um, the, they have become much more feasible for smaller deals. I'm under LOI on a business right now that's a $16.5 million purchase price, you know, investment. And uh, it's an add-on for one of our existing portfolio companies, and we'll be using, you know, rep and warranty insurance for that transaction. And uh, you know, the costs just kind of get baked into the cost of the deal, and everybody understands it. And uh, it's really, it's really not that big of a, a, not that big of a impediment to being able to get a, a great deal done.
0: No, I think that's the nice development of. Uh... The marketplace now is it used to be kind of an act of Congress to bring this tool in. And you know, it almost was, you know, had an impact on how the deals were negotiated. It would slow them down. And the cost was, was prohibitive years ago. And it's <clears> become a very, very elegant uh, tool that's accelerating deals. So, James, as we record this, we're now into the new year. We're coming up on spring. And I'm just curious, you had a great 2020. What do you see going forward, either in a macro vision or just for KLH Capital in, in your space? What trends do you see for the year coming forward?
1: That's a great question, Patrick. I mean, we feel that fundamentally the, the economy in the U.S. Is, 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 is quite resilient, quite strong. The fact that we've been able to do as well, generally as we have despite the pandemic, I think is a testimony to that. And uh, we of course are super sensitive to the people who have been you know negatively affected from you know just a health perspective, but also their businesses as well because not every you know, company has, has done well. We have companies that haven't done well and we have some companies that have done well. You know, despite all those things, the economy is fundamentally strong. And so as the vaccines continue to be distributed and people become more comfortable with the new normal, and you know states begin to open up that were otherwise you know more more conservatively locked down, um, we just think the economic engine is just going to continue to pick back up. We see unemployment continuing to pick up. Uh, or unemployment continuing to decline as, as people, you know, come back to work. And, you know, we're very, very uh, excited. We've got big plans for the year. Last year was our best year ever and we're hoping that this year is our best year ever. Uh, Of course, there's a lot of work uh, to do that. And uh, we've got to wake up and hustle every day and and be able to create value for our companies. And that's what we're trying to do. So um, we'll, uh, we'll be, be back to it as soon as, as soon as we roll off the air today. James Arnell
0: of KLH Capital, thank you very much for joining us today. You've got just a great system there. And I'll tell you, you've got a competitive advantage, particularly against strategics, because you're going to take those owners and founders and give them that winning edge. And I I can't tell you how much that uh, resonates from you. Thank you so much.
1: No, Thank you, Patrick. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on.